You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Seasonalism. I'm very guilty of it myself. We had, I wrote down so many things this week, and I got up this morning and I read in my own personal daily reading, like the plan that I follow, uh, especially on Sunday morning. Sunday morning, uh, and I'm saying this for a reason, Sunday morning is a more aggressive routine because the Bible, and you've heard me say this before, but the Bible says, I will awake the dawn. And at the very least on Sunday, don't let the dawn wake you up. Wake up the day. On Sunday, when you're getting ready to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, rise early in the morning and go to the tomb to see that it's empty. Early in the morning. And don't pull the hole while I normally sleep till 11 a.m., so early for me is 9. Don't do that. Don't play the system. Get up. Read. Pray. Stare at the wall if you have to. But no one... You ever, you ever have somebody warm up your car for you in the winter? And you get in it, and you're like, this is nice. And when they don't, it finally warms up when you get to work. Like you're three minutes from work, and it's finally warm in there, and you're like, I'm just going to sit here now for a long time. Warm up the car on Sunday mornings. Walk in here with a word that you already got from the Lord. Walk in here with a revelation about what he wants to heal in your body today. Walk in here with the revelation of knowing that there's somebody in this room that needs to hear, see, and, and sense your praise and your worship. Walk in here ready. As I was doing that this morning, I just I read a text in 2 Corinthians and was like, I'm going to talk to the worship team about that before the service. And the Holy Spirit said, you're going to talk to the church about this. Okay. So I'm going to jump right to it, and I'm going to keep this as simple as it needs to be. John 4, 24. We'll start there. Jesus says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in, say it with me, spirit and in truth. Let's say it again. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. We have to talk about this first, very quickly. Spirit. We could unpack this for years. But being very simple, spirit is when you connect to God in a way that transcends anything you're going through, good or bad. Have we experienced this before where you're just in the zone with the Holy Spirit and whether it's good in your life or bad in your life, your worship is just going over that anyway and you're connecting on a level that almost makes you feel like you've left planet earth. Maybe in the car on the way to work, maybe on the way home, maybe on a day that was getting really bad and then the Holy Spirit just opens up the heavens to you and you just feel that sense. It just goes up and over everything that you're dealing with. He wants us to worship him that way. Transcendence. Worship that is better than the good happening in your life. Worship that is better than the bad happening in your life. Worship that makes the bad in your life good and the good in your life even better, even gooderest. Just make up words at Salem Tabernacle. When we're in a drought, you just make up words. Try to get it to work somehow. But then it's spirit and in truth is the reality 
of what is happening in your life now. And we pick one or the other. Some of us in this room, we worship in spirit. And we just take everything that's actually happening in our life and we turn our back to it and we worship him in spirit and we transcend the good and we transcend the bad and we worship him in this big euphoric way and we ignore what's really actually happening. And then some of us are so entrenched in the truthiness of what's actually happening in our life that we quickly get formulaic, we quickly are algorithmic, we're quickly ones and zeros with our worship, and it stops being romantic, and it stops being revelatory, and it stops taking your breath away. I remember, and it happened still, thank God for his mercy and grace. I know what it's like to have a question in your spirit that is causing knots in your emotional system, and it's causing anxiety, and you're praying, and either a verse or a text or a phone call, and all of a sudden it just unlocks. And you're like, I know, I know I just heard from Jesus. And it just, it's not just the answer you got, it's the event that you know he spoke to you that springboards you on your way for the day. That's transcendence. But that can't happen at the expense of what is actually happening. We pick as if Jesus said, worship me in spirit or in truth. But he said, worship me in spirit and in truth. Worship him transcendently, but take up with you where you're really at. We don't want to admit it sometimes because sometimes we're in such a good place we feel arrogant admitting it. Admit it. Tell him. He knows. Some of us, we're in, we're in such a sloppy place, we're embarrassed to be there. We, we thought we should be better by now. And it, we don't talk to the Lord about it. And it's really not because we think he doesn't know if we don't tell him. It's because I can forget about the fact that it's really happening if I don't tell him. We get stuck in vices. A vice is something that's meant to hold something in place. But when it comes to toxic vices, areas that we're trying to bring healing to our life that aren't Jesus, that vice squeezes the life out of you. It doesn't give it. It squeezes it out. So what do we do in winter season? What do we do in drought? We worship him in spirit. Sometimes I just can't. I have to lift my head up. Like, you ready? I have to look beyond the hills. From whence comes my help. I have to look beyond what's actually happening. But in order to look beyond the hills, you have to recognize that there are hills. And you have to know where those hills are. And you have to know what they are in order to look beyond them. And so there's worshiping him in spirit and in truth. Confess your sins to the Lord and he is faithful to forgive you. And it's not the forgiveness that changes you. It's the event of knowing he did it again that changes you. It's not, we know academically we're forgiven, but when you feel him take that off of you, it's the event that you're forgiven that makes you lighter again. So spirit and in truth, 
Worship in the Holy Spirit. Don't just have your face in a prayer book. Don't just have your face in the Bible. Pray in your prayer language. Pray according to your personality. As my spiritual director says, tell God what it's like to be you right now. And don't hold anything back. It's what Jesus did. I'm thirsty. Why have you forsaken me? Into your hands I commit my spirit. He's just telling the Father what it's like to be him right now. That's prayer. That's real worship and prayer. Because here are a few things that happen. The first verse that caught my eye this morning in my prayer routine this morning was Mark chapter 4. Story we all know. We're just going to look at it from a slightly different angle. And it says, on that day when evening had come, always when the sun is going down, something wily is about to happen. He said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. That's the part I want you to focus on. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boats that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is what I feel is happening in my spirit, in your lives. Some of you will know that this is happening in your life. And here we go. I don't normally talk like this. Some of you will know that this is happening in your life. And some of you are so frozen over, you need me to tell you this is what's happening in your life. So please understand, we all need leaders and ministers to remind us of what's happening in areas of our life that we are blind or calloused off to. I need this in my life. Chris Green, Chris House, Bishop Q, Bishop Mike, Bishop Beth, Brother Randy. I got a team, I got a think tank of people who helped me navigate my life. I'm with you in this. They have to be able to tell me things about me that my winter season won't allow me to see about myself. There was a season where we were the disciples in the boat, close to Jesus, in the boat with him, things are going wrong, able to talk to him, hearing what he says, watching the miracle occur, front and center, front row, right there, saw the wind stop, heard him say, peace be still, oh my goodness, 12 of us got to see this, nobody else did, we must be super special, he's amazing, I got front row seats, and you feel that happening in your spiritual life. We've all been there. You have seen Jesus do things in your life, front and center, where you know, and you don't even argue with people about it, because you don't even need to, because you know he did something. And when you really know he did something, you never argue about it. You are it. You are it. But that's not the season many of us are in right now. Many of us don't feel that close to him in the boat front and center. Knowing where he is to wake him up. Many of us feel like we're still, we're kind of floating along with him. But we're in those other boats. What's going on in the boat with Jesus? What is he saying? 
I count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 10, 11, 12. I thought there was 13 in there. Where, where's, where's Jesus? Some people say, he's not in the boat. Other people say, he must be resting. I wish I was there. I wish I was close. And then what happens? A storm comes, and you don't know why. They know they're heading towards the demoniac. They know Jesus is taking them someplace. They know Jesus said, go to the other side. But everyone else who's following in boats, they don't know why this storm came. They didn't hear the word of the Lord that says, let's go to the other side. They didn't hear anything he was teaching. They didn't see him sleeping. They're in a storm, and they don't know why, and they didn't cause it, and it's not their fault. It's just happening to them. Many of us feel that way right now. Why do I not feel close? And not only do I not feel close, why do I feel like I'm being battered by waves? I can't see him. I can't hear him. I don't know what he's saying. I don't know which one is him out there. What is happening? Many of us feel that anxiety in our body as I'm speaking to you right now. Why am I being battered? And why am I alone? And why do I know he's kind of out here with me, but I also feel like he's kind of not? And I don't feel him the way that I used to feel him. And I'm starting to make decisions in my life that are in accordance with thinking he's really not as close as he used to be. I'm starting to form a new way of living around the fact that I'm just not as romantic, caught up, passionate, hearing from him, him hearing from me. My life is starting to change. I'm making new decisions rooted in this anxiety that I don't feel like I'm as close as I used to be. They're wondering, why is this storm? All we, if we didn't follow him, we wouldn't be in this mess. When you're close to him, you're like, all right, this is happening because I'm following him. But when you're far away, you're like, all I did was just paddle out. Just kayaked on out. Why am I in the storm? I'm not part of his group. I'm not part of his entourage. Why am I in this? And then it goes away. What just happened? Didn't hear him say, peace be still. Just the storm stopped. How? Why? Even that can be disappointing. Because you didn't have the experience they had that you used to have, that you had at other times in your life. I just went into the storm and it just ended. Going into it was frustrating because I wasn't as close to him as I used to be and having it clear up. Maybe it wasn't him. Maybe it was just happenstance. Maybe this stuff just happens and you're not close. But he's still the one who did it. And the Holy Spirit is telling you, close or far, He's still the one who said, peace be still. And he's still saying, peace be still, right into the center of your anxiety right now. He is at rest in your chaos right now. He is sleeping on the cushion of your problems right now. He is comfortable in what's making you uncomfortable. He's not disturbed in the disturbia you're feeling on the inside. Come on, Salem. He's not rattled by what's rattling you. He's not shaken by what's shaking you. He's not dehydrated in the drought that you're in. He has a river of life flowing out of him that is for you. And if you're not drinking from it, he's holding you in the drought. 
You don't have to be up close like you used to be right now. You just need to know that the weather you're experiencing is weather he brought and is changing. Well, I need to know. Like, see, we love to be in the boat because we want to be part of the control center of our own life. But those people, can you imagine the stories they tell? We thought we were going to die, and we didn't. That's the end of the story. They don't have a punchline. But 2,000 years later, they're in it. They're part of it. So if you're feeling stormy and distanced, all the Holy Spirit wants you to know is it's Him in that boat that you used to be in and you only see 12 because he is sleeping, because he is comfortable, because he is at ease, and he's still saying, peace be still over your emotions. You don't need to be as close as you were because he's also the boat you're in. He's also the storm that's raging. He's also the water that you're on. He is the oar in your hand. He is closer to you than the boat that you think he's in up there. You just have to know that. And I hope that brings healing to somebody. Sometimes we just have to say the truth and not be cute. He's with you and he's your peace. Now the part that he told me to say. No, I'm just kidding. Second Corinthians, I love, just deeply love Paul's personality in this particular text. Second Corinthians 11. But we can picture people saying this on social media. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. Don't you love this person? This one upper who always does this to you? Are you a servant of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. Why? with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. At sea. I kayaked in the Hudson River safely and I had a panic attack. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles. And this isn't what Fred Hammond says. Danger in the city and danger in the field. It's supposed to be blessed. Danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And then he says, and this verse always makes me happy, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for the churches. Thank God. Here is a man, and in the next paragraph he says, I saw Jesus risen from the dead. I know he's alive. And they had to let me out of a building by a basket to get away from people who were trying to kill me. How humiliating. You are now a proponent for the resurrection, and they're letting you out through a basket. Can you imagine you had to let me down through a basket? You'd let go. 
and I would plummet. You'd have rope burn on your hands. What do I love about this? It's something I never saw until this morning. I was like, you know what? There's so much talk about anxiety. Let's look up the word Paul uses for anxiety. And Ian will put this on the screen. He uses a word that has to do with a gathering mob of people. A group that's getting together because they're exhausted, tired, and they need something to change. They need counsel. They need change. A riot might be forming. It's an odd word that he uses for anxiety, but I think it speaks to the feeling. There's moments lately where we can just be sitting there and we feel in our own self like an angry group of people is just clamoring around in there. Like there's noise. How many people saw Mary Poppins before? (laughs) Mary Poppins is like one of the only shows I was allowed to watch in a Christian household, which make no sense because it's about a witch. I don't understand the scheme of how things worked when I was growing up. I can't watch Smurfs, but this lady could just come out of the heavens and like clean. Oh, I see why. I see why. They wanted me to clean my room better. Spit spot. At the beginning, Dick Van Dyke is a one-man band. He's got instruments on every single part of his whole body, and he's just walking around making all this noise. And at one point, it sounds good, but then at another point, he leaves, and he's just walking away. And it's a cool scene. He's just walking away, and you hear all the instruments just, like, flopping around as he's walking. That is how anxiety feels. Every step I take, the clamor just clangs. The pots and pans are clinking together. Everything is just tin, and it's making noise. And Paul says, there's moments where a gathering just shows up in my soul, and it desperately needs comfort. It desperately needs a change. It's Daily. Everybody say daily. It's daily. And I sat back in my chair this morning and I'm like, yeah. I don't, it's not only just me. I I feel that sometimes, but I know I can, I've, I've had at the door people walk by me and I can hear the instruments going off in your soul. I can hear the clamor. I can hear the unrest. I can hear the lack of ease and the disorientation. It's noisy. I can, I can sense the gathering mob in your soul. It's just so simple what the Holy Spirit has for you, and this is it. This is the end. John, Steph, worship team, you guys can come up here, please. I was like, what do you do when that mob is in my soul? And I just thought, when a crowd gathered, Paul is saying a crowd is gathering in my soul. And what do you do, what does Jesus do when a crowd gathers? He feeds it. He offers it bread. The disciples say, tell these people to go. 
end, Jesus says, don't make them leave. You feed them. That's what he wants to do for you. There's a crowd of anxiety growing in your life, in your soul, in your body. It's clanging. It's noisy. It's tempestuous. And we think, just rebuke the crowd. Make it go home. I rebuke my anxiety in the name of Jesus. That's not what he wants. He wants to feed it. Because Salem, there's two kinds of anxiety. There's two kinds of anxiety. There's a good anxiety and there's a bad anxiety. Bad anxiety is anxiety rooted in despair. Good anxiety is the anxiety rooted in anticipation. I was watching the Notre Dame fighting Irish go Catholics last night. Very disappointed. And at one point, we made a big stop, Notre Dame. And as a fan, whenever your team finally makes a stop, you're waiting for something bad to happen. And I sat there and I'm like, there's the yellow flag. Pass interference. That's anxiety rooted in despair. Just something good happened and you know something bad is about to happen. Because we're not good enough to have made that stop. I'm not good enough to get through this situation. I'm not good enough to bring my family closer together. I used to have it, but I don't anymore. And your anxiety is saying, man, eventually the world, the flesh, the devil, it's just going to get me. But then there's a good anxiety. All the joking aside, it's the anxiety that a child feels on Christmas Eve. Something good is about to happen. Something exciting is happening in the living room right now. It's the anxiety of waking up on Thanksgiving morning, knowing we're going to put our family in the car and we're going to go to Frank and Jen's house, and it is going to be heaven just showed up. Is it, is it one yet? Is it one yet? Last year he said noon. Now he's saying one. A whole nother hour? This is terrible. I'm going anyway. There's good anxiety. It's the anxiety that we know our salvation is drawing near. It's the anxiety of knowing that in this room, we saw every single seat filled before, and we've seen less people than this. That's not the point. It's the anxiety of knowing that one day, as David said, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. That is good anxiety. The anticipation that I know as your pastor that the spirit is going to break out in this room again. That he's going to unleash his power in your life again. That we're not going to be in this season forever, but he's bringing us through it because he's preparing us for something. Let's stand to our feet this morning. I want to, I want to go through the liturgy of the Lord's table together today. Because Paul said, there's a daily gathering of people in my soul. And Jesus told us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. He wants to feed your anxiousness so that your anxiety, you're ready for me? Not many people will say this. He wants to feed your anxiety so it gets stronger and so it's not so weak. Because when it's weak, it falls into despair. But when it's strong, it becomes hope. When our anxiety, when that feeling of anticipation strengthens and is healthy, it's the feeling that says, I'm going to get through this. 
We're going to see the other side. Hold on. Let's hold hands. It's dark. It's cold. It's drought. But the sun's coming and the rain is on its way. And we can hold each other long enough to wait for it. That's good anticipation. It's Elisha seeing the cloud the size of a fist and running and saying, a flood is coming. That is good anxiety. It's the anxiety of the disciples peering into the empty tomb with their spirit telling them more than their mind could possibly fathom. Knowing, and it says that they left afraid because their, their soul knew something happened that their mind couldn't keep up with. And they, it says that they were afraid. It's a good anxiety. It's an anxiety that says, oh my gosh, what if it's true what he said? We just need to get that crowd in us to go from an angry mob, you ready, to a congregation. From an angry mob to a conversation. Close your eyes, please, for a moment. I'm speaking to people in here where you literally have grown bored and tired of your walk with the Lord. You do it because it's what you're supposed to do. First of all, well done, good and faithful servant. It is maturity to continue to do something when you don't feel it anymore. It is maturity to still act towards the Lord when you don't feel like acting at all. But we both know God has more for you than that. I'm speaking to you, to the person who is just battered by other people. And you feel like what other people have done has sent you from the boat of closeness to Christ into a boat that's now way in the back row. He's still saying, peace be still over your life. And you are so much closer to him than you realize. You ready? I'm speaking this to you. The way that you used to be close to him has become an idol because you think that's the only way to be close to him. And he's about to show you that he has an infinite amount of ways to make you close to him. Don't plan your future breakthrough on what happened in your past. God has something new for you. So float along. I'm speaking to anyone in the room who has grown irritable. You're just at a nine all the time. And little things just trigger you out of your mind. Even if it doesn't come out in a temper tantrum, maybe it does. But inside, you're just angry. You're angry. And what I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying to you is, you need to tell the Lord that you're angry because you're not telling him the truth. Well, I'm above that. No, you're not. That might be why you're so angry. I'm speaking to people who feel like everything they do is almost good. You're working so hard to be the best parent you could be, the best coworker you could be, the best person you could be. And everything you do, it's good, but your brain says could have been better. And that feeling, that voice could have been better, 
is Pharaoh telling you to make bricks without straw? Daily bread will put that, daily bread will feed that voice. So it goes from being the voice of an enemy to the voice of a friend. How do I know that? Because Peter said something to Jesus, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. But then Jesus fed Peter. And when Jesus fed Peter, Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, now you can feed my sheep. He fed the voice. He fed it. I'm talking to all of us who have looked elsewhere for what only God can give. God doesn't want us to get rid of those things that we have replaced him with. Listen to me carefully. He doesn't want us to get rid of those things because most of them are good. They're only bad maybe because we misuse them. We ask too much of them. We put a demand on them that was meant for a Messiah, not a thing. And Jesus is saying, I'm food for you today. I want to be the vice that you go to. I will hold you in place, but I won't squeeze the life out of you. Let's confess together. It'll be on the screen. Let's confess together the faith that saves us. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing, always and everywhere, in summer and in winter, in rain and in drought, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Therefore, we praise you joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn and proclaim the glory of your name. Therefore, with the faithful who rest in him, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we proclaim this saying together, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Would you close your eyes for a moment? Holy and gracious Father, in your infinite love you made us for yourself. And when we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, you in your mercy sent Jesus Christ, your only and eternal Son, to share our human nature, to live and die as one of us, to be blessed in the city and the field, and to be persecuted in the city and the field, to reconcile us to you, the God and Father of all. He stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself in obedience to your will, a perfect sacrifice for the world. On the night he was betrayed and handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks to you, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in the remembrance of me. Would you just picture him holding up his broken life and your broken life and giving thanks to the Father? He is thankful for the things that lead to goodness and to brokenness because he is infecting both of them with his goodness. After supper, he took the cup of wine. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whether you're at the table or not at the table, this is for you who are here and close and for many who are in boats far away. Do this in remembrance of me. And then therefore we can say this together. We can proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. One way to feed your anxiety health when you're feeling stuck in it is to simply close your eyes and say, here's what I know to be true. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. We celebrate the memorial of our redemption in this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Recalling his death, resurrection, and ascension, we offer you these gifts. Sanctify them by the Holy Spirit to be for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move on these gifts in spirit and in truth. Do something that we know is done. It's going to touch our lips today. But we also pray that you do something that's transcendent, beyond what we could ask or think. Somehow make this bread one of the ways that you feed us and hold us in a time of drought and hold us in a winter season. Let this meal be a campfire where we can stay warm until the spring comes. And now together, and I'll let, you're going to lead this. Let's pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father,
these are the gifts of God for the people of God. I'm going to ask Elder George if he would come and take a plate, and I'm going to ask Elder Ron if he would come and take a plate. Elder George will be over here. Elder Ron will be over here. Come and receive the body of Christ, and then spend a moment worshiping, kneeling, standing with your hands up, and just ask the Lord to speak into your anxiety. Peace. Be still. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.